Well, Merry Christmas, everybody. I don't know if you can wait too long. <laughs> I think we can just enjoy it. But isn't in our society, in our culture, we're not used to silence. That's why it like, gets awkward, because then you're like, somebody say something quick. <laughs> Do something. Pull me out of this uncomfortable moment of silence. But isn't it in the moments, maybe if you're married or, or even in your family, you can sit in the company of your loved one and not say anything and be fine with it. You're just okay, and silence is okay. You ever have those friends where something happens and nobody says anything? You're just quiet, but you know they're thinking the same thing you are. You know they're right there with you. Silence is not a bad thing. Silence is not deadly. Although they say silence can be deadly and silence can be golden. So which one is it? I'm not, I'm confused. Have you ever put your cell phone on silent? Right? Or try to call somebody who's put their cell phone on silent? As if they're ignoring you? Why is it so frustrating that when someone tries to reach you, or when you try to reach someone else, you know they have their phone on silent, and you just, if, you're just determined that if you call or text enough, eventually they'll, they'll get it. I think sometimes that's what we feel like God has done. He's, he's put the cell phone on silent. He somehow has, is screening his calls, and he's not taking yours anymore. There it is. That's the phone that we were waiting for right there. But this is where our story begins. This story, the story. It starts in the silence. And this is no ordinary story or just another story, but it's the story. The story of all stories. The story that began all stories. It's this story. And at Christmas, we tell the Christmas story. But really, the Christmas story is part of the grand story story of God, isn't it? But it's in this silence that the Christmas story begins. And we ask ourselves at this time of year, well, what is Christmas? And if you, you know, there's so many things in our world that fill up our time and take away the silence, right? We have all sorts of eye devices that fill in all the silence of our life because we can't stand it. Got to fill it with some sort of noise, conversation. Even in the moments of silence, we're, we're checking in on social media because we need some sort of outside stimulation. We have the TV blaring and things like that. You know, in my house at Christmas time, what's always going, there are two things in my house that are going on. One starts actually in about late August, Christmas music. What is it with, right? So my wife starts playing it in August this year and then September. And then by the time October hits, it's always on. November, obviously, it's even worse. But you know what the second thing is? And for guys, this is like the antithesis of ESPN. It's called the Hallmark Channel. <laughs> right? Okay, so the Hallmark Channel starts playing all these Christmas movies, like romantic, sappy Christmas movies, all the live long day. (laughs) 
our DVR is filled with these movies, right? And they all have like clever titles, you know. They're all Christmassy. And they all, you know, like I, I ruin it for my kids because I'm like, oh, they're going to like have, they're going to fall in love and then some impossible circumstance is going to separate them. But by the magic of Christmas, they're going to come together. <laughs> every one of them. I just ruined every Hallmark movie for you. But that, that sort of fills our house is, and our DVR are those things. And you know what, I, as I'm watching these movies and as I, as I take in what our culture says about Christmas, I mean, for, for a long time our culture has sort of hijacked Christmas, right? It becomes a, a, a shopping event, you know, all about the gift-giving, good things, but we focus on us. We focus on the gift. We focus on the wrong things, right? Well, then when you watch the Hallmark Channel, it oftentimes talks about this subject of Christmas. Well, what is Christmas? You know, because inevitably there's somebody in the story that's trying to ruin Christmas. And so they ask themselves, well, what is Christmas? And they say things like, well, Christmas is an attitude. Christmas is in the heart. Christmas is all these other things other than a recognition of Christ himself. And mind you, these are not bad things. They're not saying anything that's absolutely wrong, but they're not saying anything that really leads you to the truth about what Christmas is. It's a feeling. It's, it's a vacation. It's, friends and, it's all about friends and family and gifts and food. Amen. Maybe it's, they focus on the stress of it all. Maybe about eggnog, right? If eggnog were that good, you'd have it all year long, okay? I'm just saying. But we remember in this moment that Christmas is about the story, the grand story of God. And this story, as it were, is interrupted. Now, in a couple different ways, the story of the Old Testament ends in Malachi, and there's silence, 400 years, called the intertestamental period, before the coming of the New Testament in Matthew and the arrival of Jesus. There's this period of time where there's, there's, God is not speaking. There's no prophet. There's no word of God written down, no historical data. And into this silence, Jesus is inserted. It's in this moment that the story changes. And the Bible tells us that Jesus is inserted at just the right time. Galatians 4, 4 says, at just the right time, or another translation says, when the time had fully come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law, that we might receive adoption into sonship. We talked about that briefly during our worship time. But this adoption into sonship, that, that term means full legal standing as an heir with all its rights, benefits, and privileges. Full legal rights. And so in this, Jesus is inserted to bring to the people what the law could not bring them, which was freedom, which was adoption into God's family. And Jesus is inserted under the law and into the silence. It had been 400 years since God 
had spoken. And now he would speak in the most magnificent way with the most magnificent message he had ever made. And he decided to communicate it through himself, his son. Hebrews chapter 1 says it this way. In the past, God spoke to us through our, to our ancestors, through the prophets in many, at many times and in various ways. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed heir of all things and through whom also he made the universe. And the message, John three sixteen. for God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that who would, whoever would believe in him would not perish but have eternal Life. And it says that his son, Jesus, was at the beginning of time when all things were made. And so, like in the beginning, in Genesis, where there was silence, Genesis 1-1, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, and the earth was without form and void, and water covered the surface of the earth, and the Spirit of God was there. It was in this silence that God spoke the word of creation. And everything in all of the universe was created by the creative word of God. And Jesus was there, and it was through him, the Bible says, that all things were made. And then in this moment of time, this 400-year period of God's seeming absence, his silence... God in search Jesus. And just like in the beginning, there's silence. And then the spoken word of God becomes flesh. God incarnate. God comes to us. In the silence, was God playing games with all of humanity? Was he turning off the phone ringer, silencing his phone? not taking your call? Is that what you think when God is silent in your life? That somehow he has misplaced or set his cell phone down and cannot find it? And you just keep ringing it, but he just keeps, he's either lost it or ignoring you. You ever lost your cell phone when it's on silent? Right? That's like worst case scenario. Losing your phone while it's on silent. Because you know what you want to do when you lose it. What do you do? You call it. Hey, would you dial my phone, please? Not seriously, not right now, though. I have had that experience. I lost a cell phone in the snow. Minnesota snow, not Missouri snow. We're talking mounds of snow at the edge of the driveway, piled high. I get inside after having cleared the whole driveway, You do the cell phone search, no cell phone. The cell phone is white, and it's on silent. So I do what any desperate person will do, scream, and then run out and look for it. So I'm digging through the snow, desperate to find my cell phone. I found it. But isn't that what desperation leads us to do, is to seek, to find? And this is what the people of Israel were doing. They were seeking a Messiah, hoping that God would somehow speak. And I shared this message, I shared this message about two, two years ago. We 
I called it the miracle of silence, and I felt like this was the moment to share that again. I'm not really a recycler of, of messages that I preach, not that you would remember anyway, <laughs> but I felt like it was in this moment leading to this series that, that God wanted me to share the miracle of silence, maybe perhaps speaking directly to your own situation. But where is God in the in-between? You know, like the Old Testament and the New Testament, there's space, there's separation. For many of you, it's just one blank page. But it's empty, and and oftentimes I think we feel like those people in the intertestamental period, like God has somehow gone away, just disappeared. He's not communicating, he's not listening, he's absent. But the fact is God is not absent nor was he absent in this 400-year period. Now, understand, in this 400-year period, there's no record of prophets or any historical data, but it doesn't mean he wasn't communicating. He was listening. Now, the conditions of the Jews, you, you basically could wrap it up in saying that 200 years before this period began, so about 600 B.C., they were actually captives in a land called Babylon. There's writings on that. The prophets spoke, and there's historical books in the Bible about their captivity. The book of Daniel is a good reference there. So they're captive in Babylon 200 years before this intertestamental period. And it's in this period of time as captives that they're cured of their idol worship of their habit of adopting all of the other cultures that they were living under or with, they had the habit of adopting those gods, those idols, into their faith. And this is what God kept saying to them is, you'll have no other god. And so because of their disobedience, he punishes them, basically. He allows them to go into captivity, and this cures them. Amazing. They come out knowing that God is the only God. It cures their unfaithfulness to God. They seemingly are cured of that. And they come out with a zeal for God. Now understand that it was in this moment, about 500 BC, that Zerubbabel returns to Israel. He returns to Jerusalem. They build and complete the temple. And then, not but about 50 years later, Ezra The scribe returns to Jerusalem with some more Israelites, right? These Israelites are all returning from from different places, some from captivity. And he, Ezra, restores the law and the rituals. And another 13 years later, in 44, I'll say it right, 445 B.C., Nehemiah, the book of Nehemiah, he comes and rebuilds the walls, and he becomes governor. So this kind of gives you a picture of what leads up to this moment. Now, once again, it's in this time that there's a a Jewish state in Judea, though under the rule of Palestine. And so this is the beginning of the 400-year period of silence. This is where we find the Jews between Malachi and Matthew. And in this time, they go under the rule of the Persians, the Greeks, the Egyptians, the Syrians, uh, the Maccabeans, and the Romans. Viewed politically, the varying course of the Jewish nation in Israel simply reflects whatever culture they happen to be living under. And there are people who are zealous to keep their way pure. 
to remain pure to the law and to their identity. And coming out of their captivity, they are zealous for God, for the law, really. But there's this messianic hope. There is this looking forward to what God would bring to them. And out of this comes an elaborate form of interpretations, amplifications, and additional regulations of which the Judaism of Jesus' time, where he lives, was the result. You don't have to read far into the New Testament to realize that what we see in the end of Malachi and what we see in the beginning of Matthew is totally different. When the last writer of the Old Testament laid down his pen, I don't know that he could foresee what was about to happen in 400 years. It's not that Palestine has simply changed hand a half dozen times. It's that there are totally new groups of people. They have the Pharisees okay, and the Sadducees. And the Herodians, these are names that you don't see in the Old Testament. And the Pharisees, these were the separatists. These were the guys who were going to build fences around the law. And they're going to help you keep the law by adding rules to the law so you don't break the law. Does that make sense? And so they heap on the Jewish people all these rules to help them follow the law. And that was their job. They felt like that was their calling, was to help you follow the law. And then there was the Sadducees. They were sort of the, the aristocrats, the sort of social clique of the Jewish people. And then you had the Herodians who were sort of adopting to the culture while maintaining some semblance to their Jewish roots. And then not only do you have new groups of people, you have new institutions. You have the synagogue, which is not the temple. The synagogue was where they taught the law. And there was a group of people called the scribes. They were... The lawyers, mm-hmm, come on now. They were there to interpret and help you apply the laws and the rules. They studied the law. And you had the Sanhedrin, which was the ruling class or the ruling council of the Jewish people. And so it's into this moment that God inserts Jesus into the silence. Once again, the word of God comes. And Jesus is born into this struggle of culture and religion. Those who had devoted their life, these Pharisees, Sadducees, the the scribes, they had devoted their life to studying the law and, and preparing for the Messiah that they knew would come. They had expected. And so they focused on these laws and these uh, these predictions, the prophecies. And yet they were the very ones who miss the fact that he came as a helpless and humble baby. Isn't it ironic? But really, Psalm 81 speaks of it this way. In truth, he says, but my people would not listen to me. Israel would not submit to me. So I gave them over to their stubborn hearts to follow their own devices. And that word devices means imagination or ideas. And so you've got these people who are so intent on following the religious rules and knowing stuff that they totally missed that God sent the Messiah. They had their own ideas and in their imaginations knew what the Messiah would look like. Well, surely he's going to free us from captivity from every other ruling nation. He's going to defeat the Romans. This was their idea. This was their imagined idea of what a Messiah would look like, and he would come in with sword in hand and 
lop off the head of the Roman Empire so that they could be free again. But this king, this Messiah, shows up as a baby, and they miss him. It's in the silence that they miss the Savior. Even in the silence, they don't hear God speaking. Don't you find it interesting that pagan astrologers, these wise men that we find in the Gospels, come from the Far East saying they've seen a star, a sign in the stars, that there's a new king in Jerusalem, a king of the Jews. They come to Herod and say, where's the one born king of the Jews? And Herod's thinking, I'm the king of the Jews. I've killed three of my sons so I could remain king of the Jews. Now, who are you talking about? So Herod calls who? The religious people, the scribes, the Sanhedrin maybe, the Pharisees. And he says, who is this king of the Jews? Where is he to be born? And there are these pagan astrologers, the wise men, standing right there. And they say, oh, uh, in Bethlehem of Judea. Why don't they go with him? Why don't these why why don't these religious zealots who are looking for the Messiah, the king, why don't they go with the wise men? You ever wonder that? They missed it. They weren't listening. Surely it's not now. Surely it couldn't be this. Well, it is, and don't call me Shirley. It's a great movie, right? All right. But could that be said of us that we've missed the Messiah? That sometimes in the silence we're not listening? Could it be that in the moment that you feel God speaking the least, he's actually speaking the most? Maybe in the darkest times it's that when you need to listen. And I know in those moments of in-between it can be hard. But don't miss the signs in the silence. Your own thoughts, ideas, and imaginations may not be what God is trying to use. He may be giving you something totally different. And the Bible is full of people who respond to silence in very excellent ways. They're familiar with silence, and not only silence, but suffering. And, and I don't know about in your life, but in my life, and certainly in Scripture, silence is often compared or partnered with suffering. Think of a time in your life when you went through the time of suffering. Did you not feel like there was some silence, that perhaps even God himself was being silent with you, as if God was giving you the silent treatment, right? That, he, that somehow he had stopped listening. But the Bible tells us a few stories. I'm going to share briefly a couple stories with you. story of Job. The Bible tells us that the, through the story of Job that he was well acquainted with silence and with suffering. And in Job's pain and suffering, he cries out to God. He asks for answers and he keeps asking. But for the first 37 chapters, nothing but crickets. He cries for God's help, for God's relief, and he's only met by deafening silence. (laughs) So his wife says to him what any good wife would say to her husband who is suffering, having lost his fortune and his family. His wife says to him, Curse God and die. (laughs) Thanks, honey. Job says, no. My God is faithful. In fact, Job 2.10 says it this way. Job says these words. 
Shall we indeed accept good from God and not accept adversity? Later on in chapter 19, he says, after defending himself to his friends, he states, I know that my Redeemer lives and that in the end he will stand on the earth. And after my skin has been destroyed, yet in my flesh I will see God. This is before Christ comes and he says, I know that my Redeemer lives. I mean, we you can turn on Christian radio and listen to that song in reference to Christ. And yet Job, before the Christ comes, is saying, I know my Redeemer lives. I talked to him this morning, right? Isn't that what the song says? I know my Redeemer lives, and I know he will stand upon the earth. This isn't about me. It's about him. And even if my flesh is burned up, I will still see God, Job says. What great faith. We see this in King David as well. If you read through the Psalms, many times David cries out to God with questions about his silence. David, like many of us, sees God's inaction as his silent punishment at times. That God is silent, and so therefore he is inactive. And so in Psalm 13, you see one of these writings of King David. He says, how long, Lord? How long will you forget me? Will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I wrestle with my thoughts and day after day have sorrow in my heart? How long will my enemy triumph over me? Look on me and answer, Lord my God. Give light to my eyes or I will sleep in death. And my enemy will say, I have overcome him and my foes will rejoice when I fall. But I trust in your unfailing love. My heart rejoices in your salvation. I will sing the Lord's praise for he has been good to me. What a great depth of understanding of the character of God. And David's not afraid to express himself to God in a very honest way. From his human perspective, God, why have you forsaken me? Why have you forgotten me? Why are you quiet? Why aren't you vindicating me? Why aren't you taking care of my enemies? Smite me, almighty smiter. Just Answer me. Do something. Don't be inactive. Don't be silent. And then David says, but I will trust in your unfailing love. My heart rejoices in your salvation. And he was speaking in faith of a salvation he had yet to see. I will sing the Lord's praise for he has been good to me. Even the very disciples of Jesus, we talked about this a couple of weeks ago, in the midst of a storm, storm, these seasoned sailors are completely freaked out. And where is Jesus? Snoozing in the back. He's quiet. He's silent. Perhaps there's a little bit of a snore. There's a theological question for you. Does the Son of God snore? I don't know. But they wake him. And say, don't you care? Aren't you listening? Aren't you aware of our suffering that we're about to drown? And having quieted the storm, Jesus says, you have little faith. Why did you doubt? They had yet to learn what we know, that if the Son of God, the Savior of mankind is in your boat, you're probably good. 
your bone ain't going down. Jesus himself was familiar with the suffering. He was familiar with the silence. Matthew 27, Jesus is hanging on the cross, and one of the phrases he says is, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? It's in that moment he feels the separation that you and I feel, the silence of God. God, why did you turn your back? Why have you abandoned me? And in this moment, he feels the suffering of all humankind, not just physically, but spiritually being separated and in darkness. The Bible says, he who knew no sin became sin for us. He bore our sin. He knew the darkness of our spiritual state at that moment. But the miracle out of the silence is that God answers. He answered just the way he always does, on time and in the best way. He is listening. Just because you don't hear him doesn't mean he's not communicating. This is where the Jews lost it. They were no longer looking for God's communication. They weren't expecting. And here is Jesus inserted into the silence. And through him, they would no longer have these rules and regulations that would anchor them down. In fact, Jesus says, or the Bible tells us that through Jesus, we have a different anchor, a new anchor, exactly for the storms and the silence and the suffering that you and I would go through. In Hebrews chapter 6, the Hebrew writer says in verse 19, we have this hope. Jesus, as an anchor for the soul, firm and secure. It enters the inner sanctuary behind the curtain where our forerunner, Jesus, has entered on our behalf. He has become our high priest. We have a high priest who understands suffering. He understands the silence of God. He understands the temptation and trials that come to every human. And he's our high priest. He enters in to the sanctuary of God on our behalf. It says he intercedes. In Romans, it tells us that Jesus makes intercession on our behalf. So perhaps it's that when God isn't speaking to you, when you feel there's no communication coming from Jesus himself to you, it might be that he's talking to God about you. Could it be that Jesus is speaking to God directly on your behalf? He's interceding on your behalf. And you just, you must wait. Like many of you, I had a praying mother. Oftentimes coming home late at night or maybe returning from a trip or a friend's house early in the morning or just coming upstairs from my bedroom in the morning before school, I would find my mother in front of our uh, glass doors overlooking our deck on the couch with her Bible and her notebook praying interceding for her children. I'm convinced that's how I survived high school. A praying mother. She was interceding. She wasn't talking to me. She was talking about me, to God. She was interceding on my behalf. She wanted the best for her children, and so not only would she communicate to us, but she would communicate to God about us and for us. I'm very thankful for a praying mother. So how do I respond in the silence? Jesus often said this. 
He who has ears, let him hear. (laughs) Okay. Is that kind of like saying, he who has a tongue, let him taste? It's sort of that obvious thing. But Jesus wasn't saying, he who has physical ears, let him hear. He's saying, he who has spiritual ears, let him hear. So in our closing moments, I want to give you three ways we can apply this to our lives today so that we can hear, so that we can listen in the silence. First, examine yourself. Simply ask the question, is it me? Have I done something? Now, this isn't always the case. This isn't uh, suffering comes because you sinned. This is when I feel silence, is there something I'm supposed to learn or is there something that I have done or not done? Perhaps it is sin. Sin is the disconnection from God. So have you done something that has disconnected you from God? Scripture says as much that in our sin, we separate ourselves from God. Psalm sixty-six, eighteen says, If I had not confessed the sin in my heart, my Lord would not have listened. God doesn't stop speaking because of punishment, but perhaps it's a proximity problem. God doesn't stop speaking to punish. Perhaps it's a proximity problem, meaning we have walked away to the point we can no longer hear him because we choose a different path. God isn't punishing you in the silence, right? You know, if, if you're in a relationship and you give someone silent treatment, right? It's, it's one of those things you might be trying to punish the other person, right? Now, when a, a guy does it to his girlfriend or wife, gives her the silent treatment, he's a jerk, right? But when a girl gives the guy the silent treatment, it's so he has time to think, I think it's a double standard, ladies. But God isn't like that. He doesn't operate on human levels. But sin does separate us, and it does create for us a listening problem. You ever go to the doctor and have your ears cleaned out? Not a pleasant process, nor is it pretty. But if you don't clean out your ears, guess what? You can't hear anything. It's difficult to hear. So perhaps it's just a listening issue that something has clogged your ears, or perhaps you can hear, but it's like the peanuts, you know, like wah, 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 wah. Perhaps you've stopped reading the scripture that helps you recognize and interpret the voice of God and what he's saying to you. So maybe reading the scripture so that you know and hear the voice of God better. We're not burdened with the Bible as law, we're given the Bible as a love letter. So read it, because oftentimes you'll find the answer has already been told to you. It's just in this book. I'm just saying. Number two, accept God's sovereignty. So if you follow along, it's E-A-R, ear. Examine yourself. A, accept God's sovereignty. Isn't that cheesy? All right, we'll keep going. Accept God's sovereignty. He can be silent. God can be silent. You cannot compel him to do something he does not want to do. He's not obligated to you. But you, like Job, have a choice. Job actively trusted in God. In fact, in Job, you'll find that Job responds by saying this, though he slay me, yet will I serve him. Though God takes my life, I'll still serve him. There's an understanding and trust there that only in suffering you can learn. 
The last thing is recognize silence is not deadly, but provides avenues of growth and salvation. Or revelation, rather, and salvation. Silence is not deadly. It is not. It's there that you're intimate with God. In fact, it's there that Jesus in silence wept at the loss of his friend. It's the reason Jesus got away from it all, turned off his phone, put away his iPad, and got alone so he could listen to God. And yes, it's in those moments of suffering. Darcy and I, upon losing a child, came to that dark night of the soul, that very moment that you decide if God is God in the silence or he's not God at all. It's in those dark moments that you understand the shepherd's voice more than you see the shepherd himself. Recognize that he still has a plan for your life. I want to read what Oswald Chambers states about silence. He says it this way, When we cannot hear God, you will find that he has trusted us in the most intimate way possible, with absolute silence, not a silence of despair, but one of pleasure, because he saw that you could withstand an even bigger revelation. The Apostle Paul talks about these revelations when he himself says he has a thorn in his flesh, and we don't know really what that is, but we know he's prayed several times for God to remove it, and he said, but God never did. And from that, from Paul's writings, we understand that Paul, through that, learned dependence on God. He learned patience, which translated means long-suffering. In our culture, we don't like that term. We want a pill or a surgery that takes care of it. Paul states in Philippians, his grace is sufficient for me. And he's writing that from prison. And it's in that weakness that God has revealed the most to us and through us. So keep talking, but keep listening and keep waiting for God in the silence. Because it perhaps is in the silence that his greatest revelation will come to you. Isn't that after 400 years what happened to the people of Israel? Before that, God had spoken volumes, a whole, a whole testament full. But he had said everything that he needed to say. And after having said it all, God himself went into preparation. The triune God was in conversation with himself about what was to come next. And the excitement building amidst the sorrow of seeing broken humanity. Salvation of mankind, the ultimate plan, was about to unfold. It was about to make a crescendo, if you will. And the silence would be broken. This measure of rest interrupted first by the pianissimo whispers of an angel speaking to a willing servant who answers in solitude, singing her availability to the almighty conductor. I am the Lord's servant. May it be as you say. My soul magnifies the Lord. And this majestic musical motif seemingly builds unnoticed, but to angels who visit Joseph and Zechariah, Mary herself. This dramatic symphony of the ages crescendos to the fanfare boldly proclaiming, the king is coming, the king is here. May we have ears to hear and eyes to see. Over the next few weeks, we'll talk about those players. 
who had ears to hear and responded to the voice of the Lord. That's my prayer this morning for you, that you'll never be the same. That even through the silence, you walk in faith with ears listening, with eyes seeing. My prayer is that your life will be interrupted. I mean, isn't that what happened to Mary? Perhaps you find yourself this morning in a place far from God. Maybe you felt like he's been silent. This is your moment. Turns out he's been calling you all along. Would you respond to him this morning? Perhaps you'd pray with me in church in this moment. Would you close your eyes and bow your head? And for those of you who have never made that step towards Christ to accept him into your life, this is your moment. Simply pray this prayer. You can say, dear Jesus, come into my life. I accept your gift of forgiveness. Forgive me. I accept your death and resurrection that it was for me. Help me live for you. The Bible says that the beginning of that journey is a transformation. Not just an evolution, but a revolution of your heart and your soul and your mind. And may you experience that. And may, maybe even in the silence, you'll now hear the voice of God through Scripture and through prayer. Father, from this place this morning, would you speak into our hearts and into our lives? And may every place we set foot this week, would we be the bearers of your great announcement, bringing silence or or bringing the announcement of the arrival of the King of our Savior into the silence of this world. It's in the name of Jesus I pray. Amen. Well, walk with ears to hear this week. We love you. We look forward to seeing you next week. God bless you.